Your move, creep. Mission luck, Bruiser. You both Son, your ego is writing checks your body can't cash. It's the only thing I know how to do. It's a good-looking boy. I'm a member of the Imperial Senate. That's right, Lord! Welcome to Earth. You crossed the line. You know, that's just like, uh, your opinion, man. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Retrograde Podcast. This is the podcast where we talk about older movies. We talk about how they were made, how they were received, and whether or not they hold up. I am Austin. And I'm George. So, guys, on our last episode, we were talking about The Godfather celebrating its 50th anniversary. Big old number. Big old year. Big old Mm -hmm. anniversary to celebrate. But, you know, because of scheduling you know, uh, scheduling and how we do these episodes. And health conditions. Health conditions. We had to push the episode back by a week, and then we wanted to do it in two parts. Since combined, I think the episode's going to be like over three hours. I think the episode's over three hours. Part one and part two. Just like The Godfather. Yeah, exactly. Part two. But, it, but there's so much to talk about. And our second part was just crazy. We were talking about the making of the film, Wild. Um, but we wanted to talk about we kind of wanted to celebrate International Women's Month. You know, we wanted to talk about a female filmmaker. We I don't think we've talked about too many, right? We yeah, and, and we, I, talked, we did Grace Lee, and I can't remember if we did anybody else. Oh, uh, The Matrix and Speed Racer. They yeah, transitioned absolutely. But outside of Matrix and Grace Lee, it doesn't seem like we've done too many other female filmmakers. Um, that's no. your fault, Austin. I'm you're, sorry. You're, we're, I'm we're, sorry. We're everybody. back. We're back in the Stone Ages because of you, you son of a bitch. <laughs> no, but but ser- but in all seriousness, I mean, look, Austin and I, look, we have movies that we've always gravitated to that we could talk about for hours. But the point of this podcast is to talk about a wide variety of films, and I think that's something that you and I need to be doing a little bit more of. And um, yes, I think there's so much to talk about about films that we aren't normally. We, that we haven't seen too much of, which is kind of which kind of makes this episode a bit a little bit more special because neither of us have actually seen the film we're going to talk about today. No, we haven't. And it is made by a female filmmaker, Sofia Coppola, and it's a nice little kind of follow up to The Godfather, you know, because her father, Francis Ford Coppola, directed The Godfather. Now we're talking about her and one of her first films. What are we going to be talking about today, Austin? Today we're going to be talking about Lost in Translation. Directed by Sofia Coppola, released in 2003, starring Bill Murray and Scarlett Johansson. Yeah, previously I think I had said that this was her directorial debut, but it wasn't. Virgin it's American, oh yeah, Virgin Suicides. Virgin Suicides was her directorial debut, which I actually did watch and enjoyed a lot. Even, I really like that movie, Even too. though I didn't totally get it, but I just there was something about it that's just like, whoa, that's kind of cool. It hit me a little differently. Yeah. But outside of that, I don't think I've ever seen a Sofia Coppola film. I mean, I haven't seen Marie Antoinette, The Beguiled, Bling Ring. I don't think I've seen any of those films. Yeah, I haven't seen a lot of her movies. On the Rocks with Bill Murray and Rashida Jones. I haven't seen that. So so nope. Sofia Coppola, the only film I've seen is her directorial debut, Divergent Suicides, which I really liked. But I can't even really comment too much on the film just because I've only seen it once. Mm-hmm. But I do know Sofia Coppola has a reputation with The Godfather. A lot of people like to blame her for The Godfather 3 not being that good, which I think is very unfair. 
even though I've never seen the movie. It's fucked up. I think it's bullshit. We know why people are saying or blaming her for The Godfather. Because she's, she's a woman. Yeah. yeah. And, and, <laughs> and she's the daughter of the director. Bro, you f- you pull the words right out of my mouth. She's the daughter of the director. So they're like, oh, man, you know what? That's why we don't let bitches on the set fucking Jesus shit up. Christ. I, but, but come on, though. I mean, is that... Yeah, people are way too comfortable blaming women for the faults of, of things. You know, blame Kathleen Kennedy for Star Wars. Oh. Blame freaking for terminator oh uh sarah connor yeah man people were saying that's why the last one's not that great because oh a bunch of women in it and stuff and it's like bro what the fuck yeah granted look man and look granted sometimes some of these actors or actors or some of these actresses just aren't great or some of these producers make faults but man like sometimes people are willing to give dudes way too many chances yoko ono broke up the beatles oh that's right and how many times have we given M. Night Shyamalan a chance? <laughs> uh, you know what I mean? I'm not trying to throw the man under the bus. But come, what we're basically saying is she has a reputation that's tied to her because of something that she was in when she was young. And it's not her fault. The film has a lot of problems. It's I still enjoy it. But let's stop looking at films so in such a fucking trivial light. As if there's mm-hmm. one reason why this movie failed. No, okay, just stop it, right? And she's an yeah. accomplished filmmaker. Uh, so let's talk about that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, let's do that. You and I have both seen Virgin Suicides. Yes. I saw it at the Cinespia, uh, Hollywood Forever Cemetery, at the Cinespia screening. Really mm-hmm. great film. I liked it. I, can I articulate as to why I liked it or what it was about? Not really, because it's been a few it's years. Just like, it has like a certain tone. A mood. That feels... It it feels very like uh, nostalgic, but it not not like at the sake of um, telling the story. You know, it feels like a memory that you have. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Like it it feels like something like oh, I went to high school. It was kind of like this, or this kind of reminds me of the feelings I had when I was in school. I do want to revisit that film, but I think talking about Lost in Translation is a better one because neither of us have seen it, and this was kind of the film that really blew her up. Like, like Virgin Suicides put her on the map, but this was like her solidifying her place. It's like, I, I do know what I'm doing. You know what I mean? It was her godfather. <laughs> yeah, I mean, people reference it to this day. People love it. It's got great reviews. I mean, uh, on Rotten Tomatoes, it's got 95% out of 233 reviews. Pretty good. Audience score, 85%. Pretty good as well. Like, it's got two very big actors. Well, I don't know how big ScarJo was back then. But Bill Murray. I don't think she was as big as she is now, definitely. No, but definitely I mean, not. but still, very good cast, great scores. I'm like, all right, fuck, let's watch it. Let's let's finally see this thing. This is one of those films that I've always said, I'm going to watch it someday. Yeah. But you never actually get to watching it. That's why I <laughs> like then, this podcast. Uh, 15 years past. <laughs> yeah. That's why I like this podcast, because it's like, oh, no, you're going to sit down and watch this thing. Mm-hmm. I was 10 years old when this movie came out. There's wow. no way I would have been able to understand what's going on. <laughs> why is she sad, daddy? <laughs> But yeah, I mean, do you have any any memories about this film? I mean, even though you haven't seen it, but I, like I remember people talking about it a lot, and I remember there was some controversy about it because it the way it portrays Japan and how it's told from the perspective of Americans. But I don't know, I don't know if that's actually a fault of the movie or if it's because you know, like these these characters are in a different country, but they're also very like isolated characters, and maybe the foreign country backdrop kind of amplifies that feeling of isolation when i i don't i don't know i haven't seen the movie so i'm not gonna say it's it's racist 
but uh, I don't know. I do remember it, it being criticized for that, though. I mean, we'll have to wait and see. I don't want to judge that piece of criticism, but it does sound a little dumb just because, I mean, yeah. lost in translation. Mm-hmm. I mean, that. No, I mean, lost in translation, it's kind of obvious, right? Like, fits very well with, like, the setting and yeah. kind of these characters being in a, in a foreign country, not speaking the language, kind of. And the, and, and the two Americans seem to be, like, forming a relationship with each other because they're kind of, they're finding a camaraderie. They share the same language. So, I mean, that means- I guess also it's that, that weird, like, age difference, too, maybe, which is a criticism. Which I have heard of that. I have heard about the age criticism, but people have gone on and say that it wasn't romantic. I don't think there is a sexy. Okay. I, I I don't think there is a sexy. I don't I don't know though, right? Because I do. Yeah. So I do know how this movie ends. Uh, it was spoiled. I think off Tumblr or something like that. Like it's a gif of like the final scene of the film. Oh no. Uh, well, yeah. I mean, I have no I've context. Somehow managed to avoid it. I have no context for it. And there's some like some tidbits about the ending that I've read, but it doesn't seem inherently romantic. But okay. but but I mean, but it's so you could say it's not romantic. But on the other half, you can't say, well, maybe there is something romantic in there. So I don't know. You know, it's yeah. No, and the movie's about a lot of things, right? Like it's not just a romance. I don't know. What's, I don't know. What's I, about? I know that this movie has like great reviews, and it's. Uh, one a great movie, you know, it has that reputation, and I also know it has a reputation of being kind of like controversial in places. Yeah, which I'm, which I'm really curious to see and follow through on that. It's like, oh, is this actually controversial, or is it just kind of you know, people nitpicking? I'm curious. Let's look at the box office for this. Okay, the box office for this this year, 2003, number one at the box office is Finding Nemo. Oh, number number two. Pirates of the Caribbean, Ooh. The Curse of the Black Pearl. That's the first Pirates movie. Number three, The Matrix Reloaded. Ooh. Number four, The Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King. Ooh. Number five, Bruce Almighty. Uh, okay, I like that. Number six, X2, X-Men United, which might be my favorite X-Men movie. Same here. Big fan, big fan. Number seven, Elf, uh, which also stars James Caan. <laughs> Number eight. Chicago. Okay. Number nine, Terminator 3. Number 10, Bad Boys 2. All right. Oh, okay. Also coming out this year, The Matrix Revolutions, Too Fast, Too Furious, Sea Biscuit, Scary Movie 3, The Italian Job, and um, what's another one? That's, oh, Kill Bill, Volume oh. 1. Man, I can't wait till we talk about Fast and Furious on this. Too Fast, Too Furious. Oh my God. Too Fast for y'all, man. Oh. Love Jesus. love that franchise, but pretty good year. Uh, a lot of a lot of great films. I feel like we tend to be favorable on these films since we're the films that we grew up with. Oh yes, but, absolutely. But but you know, to be fair, I was a big fan of Hook when I was young. Did not enjoy it half as much when I was older. <laughs> hey man, that's why we do this. That's why we do. That's this. why we do this. Yeah. Um. So how much did this film make then? It wasn't in the top ten. So and it's an independent film, so I don't. I'm not guessing. I'm guessing it didn't make more than a hundred million. Box office budget or budget four million. Box office one hundred and eighteen million. Oh shit! Okay. Oh, one hundred and eighteen off a off a budget of four million. That is great. Oh, that is fucking incredible. Oh, no wonder this movie put her on the fucking map. You you made us how much money with this movie? Shit! Here you go. Make us more money. <laughs> God damn! Yeah. Four million. And what budget marketing was maybe what another two four million? Hell, let's just say. Five million for marketing, right? 
So the mm-hmm. film was made for roughly ten million, right? Four for production, the rest for marketing, and that's and I'm overestimating. That movie still made over a hundred million uh, in profits before mm-hmm. you know movie theaters took their cut. That's a lot of money, and with critical acclaim too. I'm guessing yeah. I th- was this movie nominated for Oscars? Um, uh, let's see. Was it nominated for Oscars? Uh, the film received three nominations. Oh, it won Best Original Screenplay. So she has an Oscar, Sofia Coppola. For best she won it. Screenplay. Mm-hmm. And it was nominated for Best Picture, Best Director, and Best Actor. Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actor, and Original. Mm-hmm. And she won. She won for Best Original Screenplay on her second film. Yes. Or second feature length studio film. She had mm-hmm. made some stuff before, yes. but you know that is yeah. wild. But- that is that is a great achievement, but again, she is Sofia Coppola. She comes from a family of artists and filmmakers. Totally makes sense, but that is still a good accomplishment. I'm oh, wondering yeah. how many women won the screenplay award before she did. Marielle Box was the first woman to win an Oscar in this category for a movie called The Seventh Veil. That was 1945, but she did win it with her husband. Okay, I was just curious. Um, hey, look, great accomplishment on Sofia Coppola. I, actually, reading about this, these awards and this, the critical reception and how much money it made, I'm getting really hyped to watch this. I know nothing really about this movie. I do know, I think that the film is semi-based on her relationship with Mike Spike Jones. She, I think they were married at the time. Oh. Or I think they were married for a while. And he, I think they were in Tokyo where he was filming some stuff or they were on some trip and she kind of felt neglected. Like he was focusing uh. on on his job. Sofia Coppola and Spike Jones had a thing. And then I know he kind of years later would revisit this theme in her. Also featuring Scarlett Johansson. Scarlett Johansson. Yeah. Oh my God. A lot of drama. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is a parallel that a bunch of other filmmakers have pointed out. Like this is not... People have pointed out the similarities between Lost in Translation and her. So, but now for the first time, I'm really seeing it, and I'm we're gonna explore this. So this should be really interesting. Okay, I'm excited mm-hmm. to to finally watch it. Where can people find this movie, Austin? It is available on Amazon Prime Video for free if you're a Prime member. It's also available on Tubi, T-U-B-I, for free. I'm assuming you have to have an account or something, but otherwise, you can rent it for four bucks on. YouTube, Google Play, Apple TV, or Vudu. Well, you can watch it through Amazon Prime, but with commercials, with ads, because it is through IMDb, I, IMDb TV. So, okay. So I think without ads, you're going to have to rent it. Because normally I'm like, hey, man, rent it. It's worth it, you know, because this is a great movie, like with The Godfather. I've never seen this movie, so I'm going to have to hold off because this movie might have aged badly. I doubt it. Yeah. I sincerely doubt it. I don't know. But I mean, I don't know, but you never know. You never know. Maybe maybe the accusations of racism will make sense when you actually watch the movie. Or, or of the maybe. of the implied relationship between a grown ass Bill Murray and like a barely eighteen year old Scarlett Johansson. Wait, how old is she when this movie came out? I think she was eighteen. Or I I think she was eighteen when she made the film. Scarlett Johansson was born in eighty four. Oh. So it was pretty close. She might have been nineteen. No, I'm reading that she was seventeen. <sighs> Okay, that's interesting. Interesting. Yeah, she was 17 years old when she casted it. Oh, here's another thing that's really interesting. Focus Features, the production company, is actually celebrating its 20 years. Oh, shit. And they're announcing a bunch of re-release events. 
Yeah, looking back at where it all began, celebrating 20 years of stories that connect us. Focus Features, a company behind tr Lost in Translation, is celebrating 20 years, and they posted a little. Well, at the in the film's 15th anniversary back in 2018, they have like a whole kind of tidbit. To play Charlotte, the young wife left alone at Tokyo Park Hyatt by her photographer husband, Coppola cast a relatively unknown 17-year-old Johansson, who was five years younger than her character. Ah, interesting. Hmm. Okay. So she she was 17, but her character was 22. Yes. Okay, that's a little bit better. Yeah. I think. <laughs> well, again, again, we need to... I mean, how romantic is the story by nature? Who knows? Because it really just could be two people who are who form a yeah who form a friendship based on just mm -hmm. how and lost they are. Because it's a male and female, some people will automatically assume they're gonna get together. Exactly, exactly. So, and that might not be the case. So we'll see. Yeah. Um. All right. Outside of that, I think we're ready to watch this movie. Yes. Finally, after all this time. All right. We will see you in one minute. Bye bye. For relaxing times, make it Suntory time. Is that everything? I mean, it seemed like he said more than that. What are you doing? My husband's a photographer, so he's here working. He wasn't doing anything, so I came along. What do you do? I'm not sure yet, actually. So what are you doing here? and paid $2 million to endorse a whiskey. The good news is the whiskey works. Can you keep a secret? I'm trying to organize a prison break. <laughs> We'd have to first get out of this bar, then the city, and then the country. Are you in or are you out? I'm in. You're probably just uh, having a midlife crisis. Did you buy a Porsche yet? You know, I was thinking about buying a Porsche. <laughs> I don't know what I'm supposed to be. You'll figure that out. The more you know who you are and what you want, the less you let things upset you. Hello, everybody. Welcome back. We have just finished watching Sofia Coppola's Lost in Translation from 2003. This is the first time I've ever seen this movie. I think the only Sofia Coppola movie I've seen is Virgin Suicides, as I believe we discussed in the previous part of this episode, and I love that movie. This movie, I, I really like this movie, but I do think it hasn't aged very well in parts. <laughs> okay, interesting. <laughs> do you want, do you want to know why I think that's interesting? Why do you think that's interesting? Because I feel the exact same way. <laughs> <laughs> this is one of those rare moments where you and I might be like 100% on the same page. I, I'm not going to lie. I, I do really, really like this movie. Yes, same. But there's there's stuff in the beginning where I'm like, Jesus Christ, mm -hmm. I am not enjoying this. Oh, okay. And then it kind of wins me back. Yeah, there's there's something to it. Um, There are some certain things that I don't I, I don't think have aged well. It For me, it wasn't so to the point where I was like, I don't like this movie. But there were some things where I was like, ooh, like, this just feels a little icky. And actually, there is something that I feel, mm -mm. I think on the first half, I feel a little bit more icky towards. In the second half, the film tends to loosen up a bit. So, yes. but, but yeah, I, I totally agree. I, I really like this movie. I'm going to go much, go, go so far as to say I love it. It is a movie that just resonated really well. Like story, like filmmaking techniques, like I, it just kind of all works, you know, and it feels like a, 
breath of fresh air, even though this movie's from 2003. Yeah. Because I don't really, I feel like movies nowadays tend to be very either bombastic or a little too quiet, if that makes sense, right? But this movie is like quiet, but it's funny. And it is entertaining, even though, like, not that much happens plot-wise, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It, I we, like I like movies like that, that don't have, like, a really huge plot, but you're still, like, in it. You're still relating to everything. You're still wondering what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. It's suspenseful, you know. And if, even though the, the stakes aren't really that high, you know? Absolutely, yeah. And normally, a movie like this, a, like, slice-of-life kind of thing, isn't really mm-hmm. my forte, and yet, I really like this movie. Like, yeah, I don't even know if it's a slice of life movie, but it's a movie that is so uninterested in like plot details, and it's it really is an experience, mm-hmm. and it's just enjoyable enjoyable to watch. It's super entertaining. It was uh, you know really beautiful, and I, yeah, I really liked it. I recommend it. Before we start spoiling and talk about the film i recommend it um so before we get into it we'd like to do a like really brief summary of the movie so lost in translation is about this actor played by bill murray who is in tokyo doing commercials for a whiskey brand suntory for relaxing time make it suntory time (laughs) (laughs) and he's in a midlife crisis, you know, he's has like this really passive aggressive relationship with his wife uh, who will just fax him stuff and send him passive aggressive notes about, oh, you, you missed your son's birthday. I'm sure he won't mind. <laughs> <laughs> um, and there's this a woman who's in a relationship with the photographer. Uh, they've been married for like a year or two, and she's just in Japan hanging out in the, in the hotel while her husband is working. Her name is Charlotte, and she's played by a very young Scarlett Johansson. Very young. Very young. In the movie, she's supposed to be like 24 or something, but in real life, she was 17. But so they're they're in this hotel. He's Bill Murray's character. Bob is frustrated with you know what he's doing, and he can't really understand the directions he's getting from the director of the commercial, who's kind of like this over the top like rock rock and roll director who he's giving really specific notes but the translator is not translating everything that the guy's saying so it's kind of funny and eventually he sees her he sees charlotte in the elevator and he makes note of her and then he's jet lagged and she's jet lagged and she's bored and they both kind of hang out in the hotel bar and have like a kind of uh, sarcastic flirtatious kind of conversation about marriage and what they're doing with their lives where they are and they end up running into each other again at the hotel when she's with Charlotte's with her photographer husband and she's just not into the conversation that they're having there. So she goes over and talks to Bob um, and eventually they run into each other again, you know, after they're going to the pool and they're like, hey, I'm going out with my friends. Uh, do you want to come out with us? And he's like, sure. So then they go out and they have a lot of fun together kind of going into the Tokyo nightlife and they, she has a friend called Charlie Brown because he looks like Charlie Brown. <laughs> I don't think he looks like Charlie Brown, but apparently that guy in real life, his nickname is Charlie Brown. So go figure. Uh, they they hang out. These Charlie Brown causes trouble at the bar and they get chased out by the bartender with a BB gun. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, and then they're just kind of like running around the city. You know, they're, they're happy. Like these characters are depressed and lonely and they're feeling happy with each other's company 
go to karaoke bar. She's singing the Pretenders, um, and they're like looking at each other as as he's singing. So that there's there's something going on between these characters. This relationship is is more than friendly, mm-hmm. and he ends up like taking her back to her hotel, and he drops her off in a room and goes back to his own room. The next day, he I think they hang out with each other again, but this time Charlie Brown takes them to like a strip club or something, and they're just like, <laughs> "This is weird." Uh, they end up going back to the hotel, watching a movie together, talking about life, where how she feels like the, her marriage is is difficult with her. She's asking, "Does it get easier?" And he's like, "Yeah," but then kids come along and it'll change your life forever. Um, and they kind of fall asleep. They they don't have sex or anything. They just kind of fall asleep in the same bed. And eventually, Bob he does this like TV show appearance with this like really, really over the top eccentric like TV host who's described as the Japanese Johnny Carson. Mm-hmm. He's not. He's on the show and he kind of does not have a good time. He like watches it back in his hotel room and he like hates himself and he goes to the, the hotel bar again. And the, the entire time they go to this hotel bar, there's like the singer there and she she sees him because he's a famous actor. She, she goes over and introduces herself. And then it cuts to the next day and he's in bed and she's in his apartment. So you know that they had sex together. And then Charlotte Charlotte comes by and she's like, hey, do you want to go have sushi with me? And he's like, yeah. And then she hears the voice of the woman. And he, she's like, oh, I guess you're busy. And then they have this really awkward lunch at Shabu Shabu where you have to like cook your own food. And, you know, she's upset with him. So she's making some jokes like, oh, I guess she's closer to you in age. You can joke about or you can talk about how it was like growing up in the 50s. <laughs> Maybe you can talk about the movies that you used to do when you were still making movies. And then he says, wasn't there somebody else to shower you with attention? <laughs> <laughs> and then they don't talk anymore. Um, that night, there's a fire alarm in the hotel. So they all go outside and then he sees her and she's kind of like smiling at him, but she's like still mad at him. So it's like that. That's that smile when you're still mad at the person, but you don't want to smile. You know, it's it's so they're acting. This movie is so good. Mm-hmm. She's so good. in A hundred percent. Yeah. So he, they go over and they talk and she's like, when are you leaving? And then he's like, tomorrow. And then they, she's like, oh, well, I'll miss you. And. They kind of hang out in the hotel bar, kind of patch things over. The next day, he's leaving. And he right before he leaves the hotel, he calls her and says, hey, you stole my jacket. But since you're not answering the phone, you're probably going to keep the jacket. So enjoy the jacket that you stole. <laughs> and then she comes down and and says hello to him. And then it's another really awkward goodbye. And he's, you know, they're, they're, he's famous. So they're taking pictures of him. And she walks away and he's he looks like he's about to cry as, as she's like walking away, gets into the, the the taxi cab and is on his way to the airport. And then he thinks he sees her walking around the street and he does the whole stop the cab. And he like runs out and chases her and it's her turns around. She turns around and he whispers something into her ear that we don't hear. Audience does not know what he says. And then they kiss for the first time on the mouth. And then he walks away feeling accomplished and she walks away feeling good as that song by the Jesus, Jesus and the Mary Chain is playing uh, just like honey. And then it goes to credits and the movie's over. Yeah, I mean, very simple, straightforward film. There's not much in terms of plot, right? I argue there's a lot of story, not that much plot. Oh, yeah. And by by that, I mean, 
with plot are like you know for when i talk about plot i'm referring to like the actual like beat to beat moments like this character does this because of this action and their response is to do this it's like a marvel movie you know tony stark does this and the villain responds and then tony stark goes back to tony stark and he makes a decision like that's you know that's a that's plot it's a mission impossible marvel kind of thing and then you have story which is like the characters what the movie's really about what it's kind of hinting at some of the things that are that it's talking about you know what i mean so kind of i mean going back to like the marvel thing like the story of like civil war for example is kind of like overwatch like overwatch you know who's overseeing the superheroes and kind of what yeah, like Mar- the, there's like a mission at hand there's an objective for the characters that's really clear that a goal a thing that they have to do that someone or something is trying to stop them this movie is less about that like end goal it's more about what are these characters doing right now and how do they feel about it <laughs> i love that not that exciting but very enjoyable let's let's just talk about some of the positives um n- normally we talk about the story kind of tr- chronologically but something in the very beginning happens that i kind of want to save until the end the opening shot of the film um okay which i want to talk about at the end because i feel like there's a lot to unpack with that one shot something that you said that i totally agree with is the acting here is superb yes bill murray and scarlett johansson are doing an incredible job they have such great chemistry together and the relationship between them is complicated between Scarlett and uh, and Bob, it's weird. Mm-hmm. Charlotte, or sorry, Charlotte. Yeah, the relationship between Bob and Charlotte is very weird. Not weird. It's complicated. There's a lot to it. There's a lot happening there. It's hard to pin down exactly. Exactly. You know what I mean? Because sometimes in a movie, you'll have two characters, and yes, they love each other. It's romantic by nature. Sometimes it's sexual. Sometimes it's just platonic. And every so often you'll have a film that's like this, where it's just like, we don't really know how to pin it down. I mean, if you go on YouTube, you'll see people saying, is it romantic? Is it platonic? What is it? And it's not, and you can, it's not really sexual, but it's... Yeah, it's non, non-sexual, but it's definitely more than platonic. Yeah, that, that's the it's, thing. Like, that's, I remember us talking about it before, and, and you said, like, I think the relationship is platonic. And then I'm watching it, I'm like, no way. <laughs> oh no 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 you don't, I, I you don't look to somebody like that when you're singing more than this by roxy music <laughs> yeah well i having not seen the film i can only judge from from what people said the people said clips random clips that i've seen of it watching it's like oh it's a lot more complicated because <laughs> yeah. it's not platonic it's definitely not platonic but it's not sexual it is longing and not but not even really romantic do you know what I mean? Like yeah, it's, rom- it's not like Titanic. Exactly. But- yes, that movie is romantic to a T. Jack and I was gonna say Jack and Jill, <laughs> Jack and Rose. Jack and Rose is a very romantic sexual relationship, right? And it's yeah. great. It's a, it's great. I love it. This is very different. Very different uh, interpretation of two different people meeting in this situation. But I, I think for for this movie, they're both trying to escape something in their lives that they're unhappy with well there's and that's that's the thing that i've read a lot about this is why i think this movie has a lot of story because you could talk about a longing for love or uh, a sense of absence that they felt there's i've read a few interpretations that it's about like kind of wanting to escape the excess of capitalism and stuff like that 
Uh, and all of these interpretations are kind of true. Like it could be about all of those things, right? Because I read some, I read somewhere that someone said the movie isn't about romance. It's about connecting with other people who feel a sense of absence, right? It's mm-hmm. a, it's, it's a yeah. shared loneliness. Yes, exactly. That's true. But then also the film does comment on the fact that it is not, not romantic, yeah like like yeah because like you don't get upset at somebody for sleeping with somebody else like how charlotte was upset with with bob exactly and the film comments on their age the film Mm -hmm. references their age difference uh, a few times sometimes visually and sometimes verbally kind of like what she says that about the singer about lounge singer hey you you guys could talk about the 50s and whatever so (laughs) it's clearly a little bit more than than just longing for like uh uh, like loneliness yeah and there's the way that they look at each other too oh yes they're saying so much without saying anything just just the body language and like the way they'll look away when their eyes are met by the person they're looking at you know like that's there's something more there okay (laughs) yeah it's it definitely is a relationship about feeling way more of mm-hmm. way more than actions or goals or desire right like the desire that these characters want isn't a sexual one it's like longing to be seen or longing to be acknowledged yeah. right because you have yes. scarlett johansson's character who's married to uh like a hotshot photographer played by um giovanni ribisi Rib- right mm-hmm. who i guess is slightly modeled after spike jones because um Sofia Coppola, the director, was married to Spike Jones back in the 90s. Or they were yes. married in 99. They divorced in 2003. I think uh, the same year that this film came out. So uh, not to comment on Spike Jones because I don't know. But this movie does not paint Scarlett, uh, Charlotte's husband in the best light. <laughs> I would I would say that like they're two different people that yes. may not have been meant for each other. May mm-hmm. not have worked together. Yeah. And I feel like Charlotte is in a point in her in her life when maybe I forgot her husband's name, but Giovanni, what's his name? Ribisi. The actor? Ribisi. Ribisi. Maybe she wasn't in a point in her life when a relationship with him would have worked. Mm. And she doesn't even know who she wants to be. So how can you be with somebody if you don't even know who you're supposed to be? Well, there's like, um, his name's John, by the way. Uh, John. Charlotte's wife, uh, husband is John. I mean... I think you're absolutely right. She definitely makes it a point to say that she doesn't know. She graduated with a BA in philosophy and she's not really sure what to do with it. And even Bill kind of comments on that. And (laughs) yeah, her and John, her husband, are very different people. And it's almost like he is not interested in any of the feely-feely that she wants or almost needs, right? Like by feeling just emotional, but... He's like not aware of where she is mm-hmm. mentally. Yeah. Um. But she doesn't exactly like talk to him about it either. She, she kind of. Tries maybe to... she's she's not even like given the opportunity to yes. to express how she feels to him. That's what I was gonna say. It almost it because I remember a scene where she kind of talks about, hey, like why don't I go with you? I think when he leaves and he's like, or no, 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 that's not it. I think I remember a scene where she kind of says we should do this. And he's kind of like, oh, babe, but I got to do this. Because, I mean, he to be fair, the guy is at work. Like he is. Yeah. He's a photographer. They're there on company time. <laughs> yeah. Um, But he definitely is not giving her what she needs, which is mm-hmm. attention. Right. And you could say the same thing about Bill and his wife, because we, we don't see Bill's wife. We just hear her over the phone. But. 
she is on a way different plane than he is. Like, he, she, she's like... Because he wants to talk to his wife. Like, it almost seems like he wants to just have a conversation that isn't rooted in, like, an objective. So every time that she messages uh, Bill Murray's wife, contacts him, it's about something about his office. What type of carpet, what color of, of burgundy do you want in your office? Uh, what is, you know, it's just a bunch of like, it's like a bunch of goals or objectives or like a to-do list instead of actually yeah. actually having a conversation. Like, hey, how are you doing? What do you think of Tokyo? I miss you. It's just like, what car- What color carpet do you want? He's and then like, she facts, she like sends a bunch of samples to him. She sends a bunch of swatches <laughs> and, they, and they're, they're all burgundy, granted different shades, but it's just like. Like he doesn't want, he doesn't care, he doesn't give a shit about it. What? <laughs> that was the most ridiculous thing. Yeah. Oh my god. The com- the communication between these two couples is almost non-existent, right? Yeah. I really relate to because for me, one of the most important things in for me in a relationship is communication, mm-hmm. right? Like the way you communicate with a person is super imp- important because you might have all the same likes and dislikes, the same views on life and stuff and if you can't properly communicate that the relationship is not is not going to go well mm-hmm. whereas you can meet people completely different and opposite of you and yet have a great time because you are able to communicate each other or communicate how you feel and this movie yeah. the two couples just can't can't talk to each other you know giovanni's talking about either how the shoot went or kind of what he's gonna do in terms of work and bob's wife is just talking about this fucking office that she will not let go i mean she is faxing him sending them swatches like jesus christ just fucking which is why bill or uh, bob and charlotte have a close connection because they can communicate really well they're both kind of sarcastic they have a good sense of humor with each other they kind of know when and when when to talk and when to kind of just sit down and enjoy the peace and and they're both interested in what the other has to say yes but i i think there is like they're they're both in this this part of their lives right Mm -hmm. yes so they're more willing to relate to each other because they're both right here Mm -hmm. who's to say what would happen if they didn't meet at this specific moment in their lives you know what i mean Absolutely. I mean, the saying, uh, right person, wrong time, totally, mm-hmm. totally true. And wrong, wrong time or could, right person, wrong time, a, you know, wrong the, person, right time. Exactly. Those are very true. And Bob and, and Charlotte are right person, right time. You know, it is a, they're sharing the, the film makes very clear that they're out of their elements. Like they do these, these two people do not belong in Japan at all. Do you know what I mean? Like, there are people that when they go to a foreign country, it's like, oh, my God, this is what I've always wanted. It's everything I imagined it. And then you have people who go to another another country and it's like, holy shit, what the fuck am I doing here? Like, yeah, you, I, I feel like the them being in Japan or just them being in a foreign country kind of exasperates problems that they already have. So, yes. so now, like, they have this place of refuge is this hotel, this hotel mm-hmm. bar, and these two people meeting each other in this like mutual place of of uh comfort i feel like mm-hmm. that's that's why we get this relationship between them that's how it develops oh absolutely and the the film makes a great shows you to to a, a large extent or it, it shows you very well that they are out of their waters and there's very few things that they could actually relate to the language is gone the entertainment is completely different i mean when we go traveling and we go into our hotel room 
we all turn on the TV and there's at least a certain sense of familiarity when we turn on the TV and we see something that we recognize. So, for example, if I go all the way to Nebraska and I turn on the TV and I see commercials for Morbius or, you know, like reruns of Seinfeld or, you know, uh, a Marvel movie, there's some familiarity, right? Where I'm like, yes, I'm in a, I'm in a different part of, of the country, but it's so familiar, right? But here, mm-hmm. when Bill, when, when uh, Bob goes, I'm just going to say Bill, Bill Murray. <laughs> okay. Because the names are almost inconsequential, really. Yeah. Uh, when Bill Murray goes to his uh, hotel room and he turns on the TV, it's all in Japanese. He can't really appreciate any any of what he's watching, any of the t- entertainment, because he can't speak the language. He doesn't know. So even in his hotel room, where he's supposed to feel kind of some sen- sense of, comf- uh, you know, of some some relaxation or like a, a safe haven, it's still foreign because the fucking TV. He can't he can't read Japanese, and yeah. it's like, oh wow, like they really don't have m- much that they can do. And that's yeah. why Bill. That's why Bill keeps he, going to the bar. He even sees parts of like old movies that he was in, and he he doesn't stick around to watch that either. It's like it's it's like that part of himself is even painful to him. Yeah. So I, I think it's it's more than just the the language barrier. Oh yeah, well absolutely. I mean, he'll. It's almost like he, because he is. It's hinted that he's he was a big famous movie star that doesn't have the same power that he used to right he's like a fading star yeah and he's almost kind of resentful of that or it's too yeah it's too uh difficult of a thing for him to grasp that he just kind of avoids it you know he'll see these billboards of him like promoting centuri and he just kind of like looks away he doesn't really acknowledge that Mm-hmm. And there's um, uh, like two guys on a business trip that see him and recognize him. They're like, oh, my God, is that him? No way. That's not him. And he's just like, I want to get out of this this yeah. conversation. And he just like walks away as they're talking to him. <laughs> yeah, it's I mean, it's the it's the language barrier. It's the fact that he's not kind. he's not really happy with where he is in his life because he even says I could be somewhere doing a play. Almost like he mm-hmm. wants to have that artistic merit, you know, or he wants yeah. to he wants to pursue this artistic lifestyle. But instead, he's making commercials for a whiskey, you know, or whatever, mm-hmm. whatever the drink is. Um, it's a whiskey. It's, so it's it's just a longing for something else. Right. A longing while you're in a foreign country and you can't really relate to anyone. I mean, the communication barrier is so off. I mean, you pointed out. Yeah. The, scene with the director he can't even talk to the man that he's supposed to be taking directions from right and even the translator is doing an awful job (laughs) at communicating what the director wants and i'll say this bill murray in the two takes that we see him like perform he's really good and the director still seems uh i think in the in the second one he he doesn't care anymore (laughs) yes All right, does he want me to, to turn from the right or turn from the left? あの、彼の方はもう準備ができてます。それであの、スタートがかかった時に、あの、カメラの方に振り向くときに左から振り向けばいいのか、右から振り向けばいいのか、その辺のところはいかがなさいましょうかっていうことなんですけれども。どっち
Is that everything? I mean, mm -hmm. it seemed like he said quite a bit more mm -hmm. than that. Like an old friend and into the camera. For relaxing times. Make it Suntory time. カット、カット、カット、カット。本当に分かってんなんだと思うけちゃって。これサントリーの響きだよ。高いんだからサントリーの中で一番。もうもっと高級な気持ちでね。日常的なお酒じゃないんだよ。くじゅどいつそは。最
it's ugh, it, it like kind of ruins the mood for me watching it because somebody sends an escort to oh, Bill Murray's yeah, yeah. room. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And in in Japan, in, in the language, there's no like L noise. There's no L equivalent for the letter L. Yeah, it's it just not it's it's not something that comes from the the language. You know, there's no reason to make that noise with your mouth. So a lot of times when Japanese people will pronounce English words, they'll replace the L with with an R, something that sounds like an R, like our our R. So that's where you get like like instead of saying lemon, they'll ask for lemon, mm. right? Oh, I okay, okay. Wow, that's interesting because. I noticed it in the film, but I didn't notice. I, I don't like now. This is like I, they mentioned it in the film, but I guess it, it didn't register then. But when you just said it now, it's like, oh, wait, that. Yeah, I've. Yeah, I like I know that because my grandma's Japanese. I've taken gra- Japanese classes. You know, I'm I'm interested in that culture because it is technically a part of my culture. And it's a p- culture that I want to, like, connect to. Mm-hmm. Um, so in this in this movie, though, right, that. That happens, right? She she's a, a sex worker and she's asking him to rip her stockings. Mm-hmm. But because of her accent, it's like played up. So it sounds like she's saying, Lip my stockings. Yeah. And it's like, what? Yeah. What? It's a that whole doesn't make gag. any and and it doesn't stop there because she just becomes like this weird, like I, I don't, she it's like a, a clown almost she because like he touches her and then she falls over and goes no 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 bob harris no just rip my stockings don't touch me yeah, yeah it, but touch it, me it, it's like it seemed very clownish it really did it was almost like it was really bad um really bad and it's like i like i again i understand this is adding to that extra sense of isolation that he can't relate to anyone even in like a sexual sense like you know what i mean like sex is a universal thing but the this escort and bill just can't properly communicate with each other as to what this sexual encounter is like like it's even weird like when she's like oh i was sent up by this guy and and you're like oh this is this is kind of weird and strange and then she says like do you want massage yeah and there's a there's a lot of entendres where it's just you're like wait what's happening here and then she's like you know she puts her her leg with a stocking on it on in front of him it's like okay i get it and then like there's weird thing where she's like no i don't want to i don't want to like she's like she's saying that no stop it stop it stop it but it's like part of the the bit i guess yeah like it's it's like Like i want you to take me but i need to like pretend like i'm resisting exactly and it's it just feels completely off like it just yeah none of it feels genuine or which i mean yes you could argue is the point of the film okay yes i i get that it just feels why does she have to be so over the top i don't think i i like massage anymore mr kazusen's premium fantasy my stockings leave them (laughs) leave my stockings yes please leave them Lip them. Hey, lip my stocking. Hey, lip hey. them. Lip them. Yeah. What? Lip them like this. Lip them. Rip them. 
Rip, yes. You want me to rip your stockings? Yes, rip my stockings, please. Rip your stockings? Yes, you want please, me to rip your stockings. Please, so, please. All right, I'm going to rip your stockings. Yes. And you tell Mr. Yes. Kazoo, you know, sure. we had a blast. Oh, no, 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 Miss, Miss Harris. Oh, my God. Don't touch me. Mr. Bob Harris. Don't touch me. Just rip my stocking. Oh, no, Mr. Harris. I, I can't think of a situation where you would mistake... Uh, an R for an L sound in Japan when they don't have an L sound to begin with. Do you know what I mean? Well, to be fair, to be fair, when she said lip, I was like, oh, does she mean kiss? Like, cause, cause like your lips, like, do you want me to kiss your leg? Yeah. yeah that, that's, that's kind of how I imagined it. And then the bit goes on and he's like, oh, rip. And I was like, oh, okay. I, I guess. But it was, it was just so, it was very odd. And I'm, yes, it's, it's done purposely, but it's also just like, it's okay. like you're you're laughing at at her for being like this silly Japanese woman. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's it's almost like uh kind of you know how there were minstrel characters for for black character like mm-hmm. how some char- black characters were like they're like the minstrel character, right? Yeah. I mean, this isn't it's not one for one, but it's definitely playing pretty up, close though. <laughs> it's playing up on the stereotypes of of like Japanese women, you know, and it gets like yeah. dangerously like uh, it's ugh. it's pretty racist. Yeah, yeah, it's not great. <laughs> and, it's is pretty racist and i'm like you probably could have handled this in a better way one where you're not like so playing up the the naivety stereotypes the stereotypes yeah and Um, how like well if she's a person doing her job i feel like she would understand oh he's a little confused about this let me meet him halfway yeah wait a minute do you not even want this to happen i was sent up by you know it's like she's not like a human almost she's just kind of like this funny thing to be laughed at. You know, it kind of reminded me a little... This is fucked up. It kind of reminded me of Eddie Murphy in Norbit. Because Eddie Murphy plays an old man, uh, like an like an Asian guy. Mm-hmm. And he, you know how he's acting it up? Like, he, mm-hmm. you know, he, he he's doing the, the R&L thing, right? Mm-hmm. He's playing it up, playing up all these stereotypes. And just watch, he's like, oh, man, this feels kind of similar to that. But this is like an actual Japanese woman. In Japan, and it just feels very off. It yeah. just, and again, hey, you could say, hey, that's the whole point, though. He can't relate to anyone else, and it's like, well, I, I feel like they they do that like more tastefully later on in the movie because I think there is some comedy in not being able to communicate with someone because they don't speak the same language as you. Absolutely. Um, there's a scene. Well, Charlotte hurts her foot early on in the film, and then. Bill Murray makes a joke about how, oh, you should get that looked at. I got to take you to the doctor. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's like a little thing that happens there where he says like, oh, you should, you got to cut off that toe and leave it here. In this yeah. country, maybe someone will want a black toe. Oh, yeah, that was. <laughs> and it's kind of like, Ugh. but move on from that. We go to the hospital and there's this really cute scene, I think, when this older guy's like falling asleep and Bill Murray like kind of wakes him up and he's pointing at this like weird contraption. And then the guy's like, wait, what? And then he, he asks him something in, in Japanese and Bill Murray has no idea what he's saying. Mm-hmm. And he's trying to understand. And the guy's like trying to like think of a way to explain it to him. And there are these two women in the back <laughs> yeah. who are dying. They're they're trying so hard not to laugh at this situation. And then that makes it even funnier. Yeah. Because the guy, you can see he's trying to make he's trying to make Bill Murray understand him. And, you know, mm-hmm. and then he's he's laughing, too, because there's no way. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
Well, that scene is cute and it's funny and it's relatable. You know, it's it's very nice. It's a nice scene. Yeah, and like, it doesn't dehumanize anybody. No, 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 no. It doesn't, and and that's the difference. And what I will what I will say in defense of that earlier scene with the escort, I imagine something that I did notice about the film is that in the first half, it almost seems like uh, Scarlet and Bill are kind of like not really trying to enjoy the trip if that makes sense right like it, it almost seems like yeah. there's like a neg- not a neglect but like a an unwillingness to kind of to to accept what's the situation to them right like bill's kind of snarky he's an asshole he says something in the beginning that's like oh that's a smart alecky thing to say which is in line with bill murray and in the second half once bill and scarlet have kind of like realize at least have some sort of bearing to some relatability with someone else yeah it's like they're more willing to like like kind of experience the culture maybe yes and and that's when the stereotypes really stop going full blast because that's when you get the scene with the man in the hospital you get um the he the when he's talking to the photographer about roger moore uh which there's Uh, it's not it's not a hundred percent but it's a lot more like he's at least able to uh, to meet the middle ground of what the photographer's saying, right? It's yeah, not, he's it's... like making jokes with them. He's he's like he's like, oh, you want I want 007, like Roger Moore, and he's like Roger Moore. What about Sean Connery? Do you, do you get Sean Connery here? And he's like, no, Roger Moore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which which isn't a hundred percent perfect, but it's it shows there's a more willingness to kind of want to enjoy Japan. And like, yeah. there's a scene where they're like out in the parties, they're meeting with Charlie Brown. Like, w- they're way more, like, willing to enjoy their time there. And it seems that that's when the film kind of holds back on some of those stereotypes. It's It, it portrays the, the Japanese the Japanese people less as stereotypes and more as, like, actual supporting characters. Kind of, you know what I mean? Uh, they're, they're more human, I would say. Well, well, I, I don't y- think that they're, like, supporting characters. Like, you, I, I feel like if you know more about Japan, you know how... Um, the culture is pretty like traditional and kind of conservative. This society is very homogenous and there are people who live there who are J- Japanese people that live there that feel like repressed by all of this. Mm-hmm. So they find like these weird avenues to express themselves. And I, I think Charlie Brown, you know, is in, from when I watched the movie, I think he's one of those guys that he's like looking for ways to express himself. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why he gets into some kind of argument with the, <laughs> The bartender and how, why he gets chased out by BB guns, <laughs> uh, why he goes to the to the karaoke bar and he picks out "God Save the Queen" by the Sex Pistols. Mm-hmm. Um, I I know that because of what I know about Japan. Mm-hmm. The film doesn't try to teach us anything about Japan. There's a, a point in the movie when Charlotte asks Bob, like, "Why do they switch the R's and the L's here?" And they just they just like make another joke about it. Like, yeah. oh, it's because we're not funny enough and they want they want to give us a they want to mess around with us. Which, I mean, that's an interesting point. I mean, I think if you do know more about Japanese culture, you'll appreciate this movie a lot more. I don't know if that's really on the filmmakers to kind of have to explain all that because the characters don't really know about it. And But it, it, if it doesn't need to teach us anything about it, it could have a Japanese character that seems more human than what we see in well, in the in the movie i will agree with you there because um definitely they they even the movie director to a certain extent is kind of playing up that like that like uh stereotype right he just seems really eccentric and 
the way he communicates. He, it's not like he's like it, it almost seems this this might be fucked up. Let me know, but it, it almost seems like he's an anime character. Like the way the director is giving notes and stuff like that. Like it's not like a it's not like the photographer when they're talking about 007. The photographer is taking pictures and he's like, "Hey, give me Roger Moore and stuff." But that director is so over the top. And yeah. watching the film, I was like, "This feels a little weird." Because yes, it, especially it, when you put it in context with the escort. So it's yeah, like yeah, it just it, it feels slightly off. It almost it does feel like I'm like I'm watching an anime character, and it's like I I'm sure. I'm sure there are some Japanese people that kind of walk around and talk just like that director does. But when you're, when you put this scene next to the escort, it's just like, ah, uh, it just I, makes it look like you're making fun of, of Japanese people for your, your white audience. Well, to sell the fact that, you know, they are very different from us and Bill Murray's like a, you know, he's um, like one of you. Exactly. Like, wouldn't you feel really out of place in Japan or in this yeah. place? You know, and and yeah, and I, I will say that is something that I think the film is is guilty of because it does sell that image of the other, you know, of yes. them. And it's not until the second half of the film where it kind of eases up on that a little bit at the cost of some of the some of the Japanese people's humanity. Right. Especially yeah. that poor escort, which is a shame because I think for like 80 percent of the film, I'm digging it all. It's those few yeah. moments where it's like and again, I'm not saying I'm not saying Bill Harris has to, like, he can't make jokes like this. You know what I mean? Like, it is a little icky when he's like, oh, just leave it here. These people will eat it. Like, I'm not I'm not saying he can't say stuff like that. Do you know what I mean? Because if Bill is selling us this character, this image, right, of a, ha- like of a kind of has-been actor who's just doesn't really give a shit about what's happening around him in this sector of the world, that's fine. I don't mind that. But the filmmakers shouldn't indulge in that act as well if that makes sense yeah right like, like at a at a certain point like i would like a, a japanese character to to say something to him like that's not cool dude or, or i don't know it's something to well, let well, us know that like what what he's saying isn't isn't cool you know because again a large white audience is gonna watch this and be like man aren't those japanese weird you know yeah and to to a certain extent that's kind of what mainstream hollywood and, and tv stuff does like you remember the the Japanese parody of the Office thing on the Saturday Night Live? There was a Saturday Saturday Night Live episode where Steve Carell came to host, mm-hmm. and they did The Office, but in Japan. Oh, that doesn't sound good. Yeah, it hasn't aged well. Mogawaki Matachi, no regional manager. Mogawa assistanto, regional manager. Regional manager, no assistanto. Desu doshite koko ni donoda. Ciao, and that came out more recently than uh lost in translation you know i wonder how many you know, to offset some of the weird, like you could have toned down some of the uncomfortable, the weirdness from some of those scenes and kind of given it to to some other moments. Granted, I will say the movie does have some very beautiful moments of that are that Japanese culture is expressed. And I'll give it that there's a scene with the flower arrangements. That's really nice. Iki, Ikebana? I believe so. Then uh, you see Scarlet kind of going to these temples, these spiritual places. Uh, and again, like the, the karaoke bar 
that looks really fun. That looks really cool. Oh, that's like my favorite. That that whole scene when when he agrees to like hang out with her and her friends is like my favorite part of the movie. Yeah, it's it's very beautiful. So again, there's equal parts of this movie that are that that show Jap- Japan is very beautiful, but is also kind of conflicting because it is through a, a white woman's eyes. Do you know what I mean? It's not a perfect balance, you know. Yeah, but- well, well-intentioned white women can still say some kind of fucked up things well-intentioned people in general even again <laughs> if you've got the best intentions sometimes you could just say something that you know eh, that's not 100 percent. now granted i'm not gonna go so far as to say that she's racist or that you know that uh that she's fucked up for doing i mean she's kind of messed up but i mean it's not it doesn't seem like yeah. she is she sees japanese she did it people. out of in yeah she is she doesn't see them as lesser i don't think but i don't think maybe so. to sell the gag that these are that the that uh, Scarlet and and Bill are fish out of water. She may have gone a little too far in certain mm-hmm. aspects to show that. Yeah, which I I don't feel she needed to all the time. But yeah, I, it like with the escort that like really took me out of the movie where I was just like upset. And yeah. when he, he when he was like, "Man, I can't I can't wait to leave Japan." I'm like, "You bastard!" Yeah, I would do anything to go to Japan for a week. You better appreciate everything. I I think that is the only problem i have with this movie that's the that's the only problem it's a big problem i have with the movie yeah mm-hmm. but the rest of it is just so well done it captures this mood that like uh, it reminds me uh before sunrise and before sunset and where ethan hawk is like in this weird just broke up with somebody and he meets this french woman julie delphi who just broke up with somebody and they just kind of hang out for a day mm-hmm. and it's that's the whole movie. There's no plot. It's just they hang out for a day and, and kind of fall in love. And that that happens in this movie, too. But I think the way this movie does it with like the beautiful cinematography of them just like kind of resting their head on a car windshield as the Tokyo lights light the, them. The neon to, lights in the reflection. Yeah. yeah, this movie is beautiful. Like, this probably, I mean, damn, this is some great photography, man. Great photography. Ooh. And the, the soundtrack, too. The soundtrack is so perfect. It's like, I, I feel like Quentin Tarantino has some really great soundtracks for his movies. Oh, yeah. He's got some good but, needle drops. Yeah. But I, I think, so this movie is, like, on par as far as, like, hmm, what songs do I put in this movie? You know, it's perfect. Perfect music choices all the way through. I'll say this. I wasn't so much as memorized by the soundtrack. I'm not saying it's bad. It didn't stick with me. I'm not saying that the, the song choices were bad because I never, I never, it never pulled me out. I never said, oh, that's a, this, that song just pulled me out, right? This movie kind of put me in the haze, yeah. right? In a dreamy haze. And I was just, I, I mean, probably, if anything, that's probably a good indication of the soundtrack because if it never pulled mm-hmm. me out, it pulled me into this dreamy adventure, this dreamy romantic adventure. I was like, I guess I was sucked in the whole time. I guess you did what you sought out to do, which was really grab my attention. Cause I, I'm not really aware mm-hmm. of it. You know what I mean? Yeah. So in a way the soundtrack works really well. The, the, the what really took my heart was a cinematography. This, this movie, this movie is beautifully composed and lit. It's got that like overcast neon, uh, low contrast, like look. And it, it mm. it's like, I love it because I love overcast. I love rainy weather. Same. It's like really melancholic, but like it feels comfortable. 
it's it's really beautiful and again yeah you you said it man the the images from this movie have lasted like these the some of the some of the compositions from this movie are everlasting i mean you've got the one of bill sitting on his bed which is kind of like the poster for the film you've got mm-hmm. bill and scarlet outside of the karaoke room where she leans her head on his shoulder kind of with the pink mm-hmm. wig uh you have them like in their final goodbye this is even the even the opening shot the one in her underwear right yeah very well composed it's this movie is very beautiful to look at you could almost have this just uh you can almost take out all the music and dialogue and everything and just have it in the background, right? Like as a moving poster and you still get a rich sense of the tone mm-hmm. of it, which is, which is beautiful. I mean, that, that speaks to the visual quality of the film. I, I did want to talk about the opening shot. Okay. Because, let's talk about the opening shot. Because I think it's very interesting because I feel like I've done a 180. What's your, what's your take on the opening shot? For, and for people who don't know, the very first thing that we see in the film is... Like, Scarlett Johansson's character, like, laying in bed. She's facing the window. So her butt is right to the camera. And it's like a see-through. Yeah, it's like semi-transparent. Semi-transparent. You, you, you can see, her, you can see her, her butt. And then, like, right underneath, like, right, her, right underneath her butt, you get the title of the film, Lost in Translation. And then the film fades to black. What's your take on it? I think it's really beautiful, I guess. But mm-hmm. I don't like... I don't like that she was 17 when they did this. I think the image is inherently problematic. sensual. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Not problematic. It's, it's very sensual. And I think the fact that she's un- underage makes it problematic. Yeah. And I think because I know Scarlett Johansson as this like millionaire um, superhero woman in her 30s. And she's like, I know that Scarlett Johansson. So it's I feel like it's easy to dismiss this as like that's fine she's she's an adult now but like well she wasn't when she made this movie she wasn't and she was young and she, she was like well i gotta do i got i have to do this movie because i'm working i'm working with bill murray i'm working with sofia coppola francis Ford coppola's daughter i want to be an actress she made this part for me i feel like there was some kind of pressure on her to do this scene even if sofia coppola i know that she like did the scene first to make scarlet more comfortable with it but i don't know i feel like even even that's like you're putting a lot of pressure on her to do this thing and she's 17 i don't i don't like it that aspect of it makes it weird that she's 17 because she is underage and it's it's definitely a sensual sexual image and that's what kind of like that's the first thing that we see in this film which kind of strikes me for multiple reasons because number one I imagine that I, from from what I saw from the poster, I thought it was Bill Murray's story. And to see this first shot of the film to be of Scarlett Johansson's butt is a little odd. It's like it's it's an odd way to open the film. It's a, it's an odd way to, to open up the film. And also the fact that this was directed by a woman. I was like, isn't this kind of female gazy? Which is referring male to... Male gazy? Male, yeah, male gazy, sorry. Which is referring to Laura Mulvey and kind of uh, the male gaze, which is the idea that Hollywood for a long time took the perspective of men, right? So whenever you had, like, women were kind of performing for the male's attention, right? It's it's a whole... Yes, this it's is like whole... how you light and shoot women on film is meant to be for, a, like, a heterosexual male's attention and a pleasure. Yeah, like, you're, you're making the movie for the 
the straight dudes in the that'll pay for tickets to go see the movie. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I was watching, I saw this opening shot and I was like, this, isn't this kind of male gazy? You know, because it's like we're seeing yeah. Scarlett Johansson and we're seeing her butt. And like, I, you know, like I'm like, I, I'm a straight guy and I'm like, well, that's a woman's butt. Mm-hmm. Like, that's awesome. And I was, but in one other aspect, I was like, isn't this a little weird? That's like a woman doing it. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's like, what, yeah. what's happening? Like, this is kind of a weird first impression to have on the film. Mm-hmm. And I, as you know, and afterwards, I was kind of thinking about that shot. So I kind of, I did some research and I found this article by uh, Todd Kelly, who kind of breaks that down, who's kind of breaking down some of the filmmaking uh, aspects of Sofia Coppola, right? He talks about how some of the people felt about these films, like how they felt about this film, kind of how they how they critiqued it, you know, how like it's it's uh, nice to look at, but there's nothing underneath it. I mean, he he quotes, he has a ton of quotes where it's like, this reviewer said that it's neither shallow nor profound, just inconsequential. Um, if you want your movies to feel like watered silk, lustrous, precious, and thinner than skin, then Sofia Coppola's latest venture is for you. And uh, he he's kind of talking about how a lot of these criticisms just aren't trying aren't really trying to get into what she's trying to do. It's trying to be a mainstream film while also trying to be an independent film. It's a little male gazy, but it's also trying to ha- trying to have it from a woman's perspective, like a like with do, do, does that make sense a little bit? Like she's trying to she's trying to have this dance. She's trying to balance this out. This is a quote from Todd Kennedy, right? The uh-huh. the article is off with Hollywood's head. Sofia Coppola as feminine <laughs> art auteur. I'm assuming and, this was around uh, when Marie Antoinette came out. <laughs> yeah, this was 2010. He talks a lot okay. about Marie Antoinette, but he okay. has a few sections uh, sections of Lost in Translation. And here's a here's a long quote, but just stick with me. Such mm-hmm. style and substance lies in the degree to which Coppola seeks to make the camera feminine. Both films open in what would seem to be direct conversation with Mulvey's idea of the gaze. Lost in Translation, for example, begins with a prolonged shot of Charlotte's, Scarlett Johansson's, panty-clad rear end as she lies on her hotel bed facing away from the audience. This shot, at first glance, would seem to match Mulvey's description of a typical Hollywood scene in which the camera is active, masculine, and the female character passive, feminine, an object of desire. Coppola's camera, however, lingers for a full 36 seconds before the film's title appears across Charlotte's buttocks in pastel blue, and the scene fades to black. What is interesting about this shot is that it lasts so long as to become awkward, forcing the audience to become aware and potentially even question their participation in the gaze. Charlotte, furthermore, proceeds to spend a large portion of the film lounging in her hotel window in a t-shirt with panties, but time and again, the camera asks the spectator to gaze with her, out of the window, not at her, as the film becomes more interested in depicting a real woman's, or at least the audience's notion of a real woman, isolated experience amidst a foreign metropolis. And that's where it kind of hit me. That's when some of these things started coming, Some of, that's when some of these things started kind of resonating a bit more, because it mm-hmm. kind of worked. I mean, I... You, you do see, like, it is awkward, yeah. And, and you do see so much of the movie from her perspective. Yeah. And I, I mean, like, I love Scarlett Johansson. I think she's hot. And the film invites you to stare at her butt. Mm-hmm. And even I was realizing, like, 
oh, this is kind of, like, this seems a little strange. Like, is it just me? Or it just feels slightly odd. And it is up there for a while. And as the film goes on, that sort of depiction doesn't come up again. Instead, we are asked to kind of glaze with her as she's looking at the scene. I mean, there's multiple scenes of the film where she's kind of looking at the city and just completely lost, right? And I mean, she walks around in her t-shirt and underwear yeah. multiple times, but... Yeah, in her, in her hotel room, because like that's that's how you walk around, you know, your living space. Absolutely, you know? but, but I'm not fawning over her. Right. Like when I, yeah. I see Scarlett Johansson in a Marvel film, I am fawning over her because she's fucking hot. But especially but in, in like her early movies where she's she's doing the weird poses and has like the low cut top and everything. Oh, super it, tight outfit, the like, super tight outfit and everything. Oh, yeah. that scene in Iron Man 2 where she's changing into her suit in the background and like she's taking off her business attire and whatnot. Right. Like and it's like, ooh, look, look at how hot she is. And don't and, you like this, boys? <laughs> and Scarlett's fucking hot. It's obviously like something that's directed towards heterosexual guys, but this movie, I mean, it has Scarlet in underwear. Granted, yes, the 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 seventeen year thing, the seventeen year old thing is creepy, right? But but the film doesn't in those later on scenes. It's not like it's like keep looking at her, keep staring at her as she's walking around in her underwear. It's not sexual. It's yeah, it, it's, it's not. It's it's very much like. This is what her daily routine is like. This is how she feels. That's what I was more worried about in the film. I was like, what is she feeling? Like, mm-hmm. how, you know, what, what's she feeling? What's this feeling like? What's, what's her relationship with this guy? Oh, he's kind of a creep. He's kind of an asshole. Right. And even there's a great scene where she meets where Scarlett and her husband walk downstairs and you see Anna Ferris. Yeah. Which, hey, this <laughs> is the second time we're talking about Anna Ferris. Yeah. She's great in this movie. She. <gasps> Oh, well, you know, I'm just here uh, shooting a band. What about you? you I'm here promoting that action movie I did. Yeah, you know? (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I'm doing 20 million interviews a day. It's crazy. Oh, it's so good to see you. Yeah, yeah. So how long are you going to be here? Well, we're here for a week. You know, I'm going to go shoot in Fukuoka. Oh, oh, it's amazing. (laughs) Yeah. It's amazing. Oh, oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, uh, this is uh, this is my wife, Charlotte. Hi. Yeah. It's really yeah. nice to meet you. Yeah, nice to meet Hello. you. Hello. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wife. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. And like, there's, there is maybe something else to to consider about like the characterizations. Um, the only two people that really feel like people are uh, Charlotte and Bob. Everybody else is kind of like this hyper realized like exaggeration, including the rest of like the white characters. That is a good right. point. G- Giovanni, John, looks like he's coked out most of the time. <laughs> he's like always like running around, like uh, sorting out his cameras and everything. And then you meet uh, Anna Ferris's character, who's like a Hollywood actress, who is just so over the top. She does, she does the most. <laughs> Which is the point, and it works to the film to 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 kind of make make them make Charlotte and Bill just really seem like outsiders compared to everyone else. Um, mm-hmm. But in that scene where Scarlett Johansson meets Anna Ferris's character, you know, Anna Ferris is, is very beautiful, right? Like, mm-hmm. Anna Ferris is wearing makeup. She's got a beautiful outfit. You know, she looks like a Holly, big-time Hollywood star. And then compare her to Scarlett Johansson, who doesn't really have that much makeup, uh, has, like, a kind of plaid-looking sweater, you know, like, kind of dressed down a little bit. Mm-hmm. And there's this wonderful thing where Scarlett straight up 
like male gazes at Anna Fares, like staring at her, like from head to toe. We don't get a shot of her perspective of her of like what Anna Fair looks like from head to toe, kind of like in typical Hollywood films, right? Where a yeah. man would look at a woman like from the from from her heels all the way to the all the way to her head, and the camera would would do that motion. Would, would tilt. The camera would tilt. Yeah. From feet to head, so you could see everything, every curve, every leg, every lip, whatever. Right? We don't we don't get that. Scarlett is just staring at Anna Ferris's from head to toe and back up, sizing her up, being like, who, who is this woman? Like, is she, what is she to my man? You know what I mean? But we don't yeah. really, but it's not, but it's not male gazing in any way. It's, or she doesn't come across as like this sexual, sexual possession, like, mm-hmm. like women have been in the past through that male gaze. It, it, it's a little hard right. to describe. And the film kind of does sprinkle that all the way through a little bit. And I just thought that was a really interesting, like, really interesting interpretation. Because when I first saw it, I was like, wow, this feels a little male gazy. Like, I'm, why is Sophia doing this? This just feels a little weird. And then I read Todd Kennedy's kind of criticism of the film. And he's like, it seems like she's trying to make something a bit more feminine. Trying to make something a little more um, not inherently male gazy. And, like, when you read some of the reviewers' response to this film, it almost seems like they don't want to talk about the film like even even one reviewer is like apologizing for liking it because he thinks it's a little too a little too girly and i was like that, wow. that's, a, that's a that's a very strange like why do you have to apologize for that but then i remembered about legally blonde our episode mm-hmm. and kind yeah. of how i did the same thing yeah we we're i feel like as young young men we're kind of taught to like shit on things that are meant for women <laughs> yeah oh absolutely and i mean you compare this to some of the films that i grew up watching like the like pulp fiction for example the dialogue is quick as snappy blood violence and all this and the film takes this film is very it's the opposite you can almost kind of see that feminine lens to it right the way mm-hmm. the characters and lit the way the women are portrayed granted scarlett johansson we still see her butt but there's something else to it where it's just like Maybe that's not just a bud shot. Maybe that's right. There's something a little bit more to it. And yeah, I mean, in the rest of the film, we don't really see Scar Scarjo in a sexual light. Hell, they they never have sex. So no. it was really interesting. That opening shot really just mm-hmm. stuck with me. <laughs> which which I know sounds creepy, but it, not in that way. It was just like, why would you have that there? Yeah, I I wonder if you could do that in a movie now though, because. She's 17. Like that's well, it and again, that's that's the thing that has not aged as well. And I don't know if you could. Another thing that's kind of interesting about that opening shot is that it's actually based on uh, on a photo by John Cassari. Uh, this is from Wikipedia. The 36 second shot, which features uh, Char- Scarlett's Charlotte's backside as she lies on a bed wearing transparent pink panties, is based on the photorealist paintings of. John Cassiere, K-A-C-E-R-E, and has often been compared to the initial appearance of Brigitte Bardot in the 1963 film Contempt by Jean-Luc Godard, which I watched the very the beginning of that film, and yeah, it's the the actress Brigitte in bed with a man, and you see her butt, like it's, mm-hmm. but it's got like this red filter on it, so it's like a little distorted, right? Like mm. it's not really meant to be sexual pleasing there's something else happening to the image kind of was 
kind of what Sophia's doing with that opening shot. Yeah, it definitely feels like, oh, this is one of those art movies. There's something else happening here. <laughs> well, and actually, that's a that's a great point because something that I kind of wanted to talk about is that this movie is essentially at the most basic level, like a rom-com. Because yeah, it, it is, is hard to define, isn't it? Yes, and that's what's so beautiful about this film. I mean, Wikipedia has it labeled as a romantic comedy drama. But the drama isn't really high stakes. The rom- the romantic comedy, it's funny, but it's not like other romantic comedies, if that makes sense. It's not like The Money Pit with... The, that's the one you go to? Well, <laughs> romantic comedy? I, I, I love that movie. I mean, what, what other romantic... When Harry Met Sally, right? Yeah, it's, more, it's a little bit more contemporary, I guess. <laughs> well, I don't know. There's not very many romantic comedies anymore, now that I think about it. Not too many. But, I mean, this doesn't really act like a romantic comedy, but it's not a drama. Right. It's it's a weird mixture of it. And it's almost like she's redefining what this genre is or what's what it's capable of, yeah. if that makes sense. You know, you, hey, Austin, let's go watch a romantic comedy. What are we expecting? Two beautiful leads to bounce back off of each other, have yeah, some rapport? Some like given- a Sandra Bullock, uh, what's uh, Channing Tatum movie? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Channing Tatum. They have some <laughs> chemistry. It's... There might be sex. It might be sexual by nature. Probably the leads are going to yeah. have sex at some point. And at the Train very end, or some. at the very end, you get the big old kiss where the two main characters run towards each other. It's like the notebook, right? Mm-hmm. But this movie at every, almost every chance it gets denies you that it starts yeah. off with the shot of a woman's butt. It's not like, it's not funny in the sense of gags. Like there aren't really gags. The only gag in the film, I would say is the guy with the BB gun. Well, even- there is the, the director who's like giving him directions and Bill Murray's like, is that all he said? It sounds like he was talking a lot more than that, which which is funny. And then the the Rat Pack thing where he's like trying to like, oh, Frank Sinatra. OK, let me give you Frank Sinatra. Yeah, yeah that was a little bit of Dino. Let me do it again. <laughs> There's comedy in the oh, movie. Yeah. And There's a lot of comedy in the movie. Oh, yeah. It's a, it's a very funny movie. But would would I say that it's a romantic comedy like other romantic comedies, not no, really. No, like it's, like it's it almost defies the genre, and it's like, yeah, we're romantic and we're funny, uh, but we're not like some of those other movies. And it denies you. It, it this movie gives you the biggest blue balls by not telling you what Bill Murray says to Scarlett Johansson <laughs> at the end. Like, like, yeah. It, I mean, come on, man. It's it doesn't have that Tom Cruise scene where it's like you complete me. Right. And <laughs> no, then they get together not. and they have the big old kiss or like, you know, that scene where it's like, I'm running to the airport, like in Nick Cage in The Family Man, you know, when he's <laughs> about to leave on the airport. <laughs> but like, it kind of does have that. I feel like there's well, it has like, that, towards... but it subverts it because he yeah. because it subverts it because at the very end, Nick Cage or all these other guys run and they have the big old kiss. And then the movie has like an extra scene where it's like, and they lived happily ever after. This movie doesn't but, really have that. He chases yeah. after her. They, they, the kiss is very quick. They kiss on the cheeks. But before that, he whispers in her ear something. They that kiss on hear. the lips, dude. What are you talking oh, about? So, <laughs> they kiss on the <laughs> lips, but it's not like like a passionate notebook under the no, rain it's kiss. Not. It's it's not a kiss where it's like, oh, okay, they're they're gonna they're gonna like be together. Wait, they're walking away, but they're smiling. Yeah, what? <laughs> it's tender, but it's sad. But it's like you can't help but say like, yes, you know, like they got it. But it's like a it's like a wait. Did they get together? What? It's it like 
because you don't know what was said, you have to like think about it. Like what what was their body language? What's what's more likely to happen? Like it's it leaves you with something to think about. I think which which in all the other romantic comedies that you mentioned, there's not really a lot to think about, right? Like you know what's going to happen next. You know you don't need to see the uh, the marriage in the post credits or the mid credit scene to know what's going to happen. There's yeah. uncertainty in mm-hmm. this ending and that stays with you. And it's kind of sad because you, the audience realized they may never see each other again, even though they had mm-hmm. a very, very strong connection. They might never see each other again. What do you think he said to her? So mild. So in Amazon <laughs> where I rented, this, <laughs> they kind of had the little thing on the side where it's like, apparently someone like lifted the audio and they like try to do some like work around. Apparently it's something like next time you see your husband, tell him how you really feel. Like something like that. So I'm I'm cheating, obviously, but there's no real way of knowing what he said. There isn't. And I believe when Sofia Coppola was writing this movie, she was unsatisfied with everything she wrote for that line. So the story goes, she just told uh, Bill to say something and he said something and it was too hard to like make it work in post. So they're like, fuck it, just not not have anything. And then they kiss and then. <laughs> <laughs> and it's a just beautiful like ending. honey yeah and and that's the end you don't know if they meet up in the u.s you don't know what happens between scarlet and her husband you don't know what happens to bill and his wife mm-hmm. um you don't know I'm... if they you don't know if they feel any better once they go back because that emptiness is still there granted they're just gonna yes. be back at home yes like by by the end of the movie like it's it's not japan that's making them miserable it's not tokyo that's making them miserable it's their their lives and now that that brief escape that they had with each other is gone or is going away. So I think I think that he said that he was going to come find her in the States. But and that's why they're smiling as they're walking away from each other. But whether or not they meet up again, probably not. No, you know, and it's sad and it's bittersweet. It is a bittersweet ending. And I love it because it really just says, you know what? We're not like those other films. You don't know what's going to happen. You're just going to have to linger with what these characters have yeah. at this moment. And I'm like, I dig that. This movie is really like defiant of those genre staples. You know, it says, right. yes, we're funny, we're romantic and we're kind of dramatic, but we are not one of those things. We are all of these things at once. Everything everywhere at once. Yeah, <laughs> you know that scene in the in in lunch, right? Where she's like, you could you could bond with her over what happened in the fifties. That's uh, it's funny, but it's yeah. also kind of dramatic. It's like that's fucked up. <laughs> it's dramatic because you know how she feels. Yeah, and you know why she's making those jokes. Yeah, even though she's making jokes, it seems like she's like having a good time, but she's upset with them. She's upset, and you he, know <laughs> he's not, and he he's not happy about it. And yet they fix that the scene after, like that drama does not. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's not yeah, like the it's two... still there. But like they a lot of I feel like a lot of people have trouble apologizing. Oh, yeah. um, so it's one of those things where he never apologizes for what he said. He just blames the restaurant. Like, what kind of restaurant makes you cook your own food? Yeah. He never apologizes, but he does feel bad for it, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is very true to life. You know, it's very true to life. And it feels like it's trying to get at a, something this movie's trying to get at just something a little bit more real not not yeah. trying to sell you the the fantasy that hollywood films have been selling you for years decades and that means you know like the the male gaze what romance is like what relationships 
um, should be or what they are. You know, it's it's, mm-hmm. it's really withholding of all that and just kind of giving you something that emotionally is very raw, um, something yeah. that something that doesn't need sex to be enjoyable. If that makes sense, right? Mm-hmm. And, and that's why I like this movie. It just it's this is mo- this is like. This is like the chillest movie to ever. Like this is the chillest movie ever. Yeah, aside from the the racism, it's pretty yeah, chill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, and that's a big. That's an issue as well. But by chill, it's almost like the stakes are low, but you're still invested. Yeah. And and you care about what's happening. Mm-hmm. But it's lightweight. Like it's light. It's funny. Yeah. Uh, I feel like the ending is pretty heavy because oh yeah, you, you know that there's so much more that they want to say to each other, but they're like, no, this is cool, everything's fine. Like I'm say goodbye, I'll miss you, but you know this was never gonna last forever. And then he, she's like walking away, and he's like about to cry in this photograph. Like oh my god, great, great oh, acting yeah. by Bill Murray. Oh phenomenal! And uh, how many people can relate to that? of having met someone that they feel is just incredible and then it's cut too short and mm-hmm. you you don't really know how to say goodbye they've tried they tried saying bye like two times they can't it's just awkward because like, so many awkward goodbyes like the elevator things like oh my god how many times have you said goodbye too early like just just like as a casual like meetup it's like all right all right bye and then you walk to your cars and you're walking in the same direction it's like fuck oh yeah and I this movie this. gets at that <laughs> And that's what makes it great. That's- it does that, but it's at significantly higher stakes because they're kind of into each other and they're never going to see each other again. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, yeah, it's aside from some of the racism, uh, the movie's super chill. Like the, the this yes. is the chillest movie. And by that, I mean, it's just like, just great to watch. I don't know. Like the next time there's a rainy day, I'm just going to watch this movie. Yeah. And it's going to be like just, a mood. Oh, yeah. Like, like uh, when they start going like when they start going out with Charlie Brown from that moment till he puts her to bed is like Beautiful. very nostalgic. You know, I remember hanging out, like trying to stay out as long as possible. Like, Oh shoot, I'm feeling sleepy. I've got to stay up for at least another hour. I'm not old yet. Blah, blah, blah. You know, just hanging out, doing karaoke. Ah, I love karaoke. Yeah. Um, it's a beautiful scene. Beautiful mm-hmm. scene. Um, that's very well shot. Very, there's a lot happening, and um, and there's a lot too this to this movie that we haven't even talked about. I mean, the age gap between Scarlet and Bill. Like, I know the film references that, and kind of we, there's a lot of people who feel a certain way about it. And there's also just a sense of capitalism that's running through the kind of background of the film. But it's it's a great film to watch. Um, I recommend it. It's really enjoyable. Oh, yeah. And outside of the the red flag that you did mention, which are there, um, it's not perfect, not perfect at all. No. And it is a movie of the times, like you know, in two thousand three, I'm sure two thousand three was a lot less less progressive and a lot less people were aware. Oh of this yes. Stuff. Oh yes. So, people people love to say, oh, Will Smith slapping Chris Rock at the Oscars was terrible. It was the worst moment of the Oscars ever. Whereas <laughs> in, t- in two thousand three, didn't. Wasn't Hollywood giving a standing ovation to Roman Polanski? <laughs> Ooh. Ooh. Oh yeah. Um yeah, so it's you know, like any like anything, it's complicated. It's got good and yeah. bad stuff, but it really mm. depends on you. And I really enjoyed it. I really liked it. I thought it was a yeah. great film. Uh I can't wait to rewatch this movie again. I really oh, wish yeah. it would like rain soon, so just so I could I 
I have not stopped listening to more than this since since I watched the movie, <laughs> which is the song Bill Murray sings at the karaoke place. Um, we didn't really get to talk about how the movie was made. Well, to be fair, I didn't really research that. <laughs> I can give you like a, a okay. I'll give you a brief. I'll try to give you a brief rundown of how it was made. Um, there is a. It's really ironic, but there's like a 30 minute collection of clips. Uh, filmed by Spike Jones, along with other people. Spike Jones was Sofia Co- Coppola's husband at the time of making this movie, just doing like behind the scenes stuff as they're making the movie. And I think it's on YouTube, right? It is on YouTube. Yes. It took her months to write this movie, and she's basing it off of like real life experiences. She's been to Tokyo. So Sofia has been to uh, Tokyo several times. Char- the Charlie Brown character was her real life friend who also went by Charlie Brown. And he did like to sing God Save the Queen at a karaoke bar. And she was like, this will make a really great movie moment. I'm going to keep this in my pocket. (laughs) And, you know, she is the daughter of Francis Ford Coppola, this great director. He's directed Apocalypse Now and um, The Godfather. And he did in, in real life, in real life, he did commercials with Akira Kurosawa. Uh, while Kurosawa was doing Kagemusha about Santori whiskey. <laughs> Isn't that funny? And she was in The Godfather Part 3, and people hated her for that. She's ruined her father's movie. So she's kind of in this place where, like, I don't really know who I'm supposed to be. Uh, I started doing photography. I don't like it. And then she, you know, started doing filmmaking, did The Virgin Suicides, really great movie. And she wanted to do... Another movie, Mary Antoinette, but I think this she wrote this movie first. And she really, really wanted to get Bill Murray in the movie. She wanted to get Scarlett Johansson for The Virgin Suicides, but felt like it was like too adult for her to be in. Um, so she wrote it with Scarlett Johansson in mind. And then she goes to... She gets some money together from international production companies and distribution companies and is able to go to Japan. And Bill Murray does not do contracts, right? He doesn't sign his name for stuff. He has an 1-800 number that he gives to certain people. And then she kept calling that box for, I think, a year, maybe. And eventually, mutual friend was like, hey, go talk to Sofia Coppola. She's got a really good movie for you. And he's like, okay, I'll talk to her. They talk. He's like, all right, I'll be in your movie. But doesn't sign a contract. He just says, I'll be in your movie, (laughs) which... If you're, you know, trying to lock down locations, lock down crew, lock down actors, someone saying I'll be in your movie is not like the most reassuring thing because mm-hmm. people say stuff in Hollywood all the time and never follow up on it. It's kind of known for it's known to be a place where people do that. So she's in Japan. She's got all of her all of her other ducks in a row and she's just kind of waiting for Bill Murray to show up. And Spike Jones is like filming this and he, he's like, oh, are you nervous about Bill? And she's like. Yeah, I'm pretty nervous about Bill. (laughs) You can tell she's like, if Bill Murray doesn't show up, my movie does not happen, you know? (laughs) Um, And then, you know, a week before he showed up, he called and said, hey, I'm coming to Japan. And then it was like huge, like relief, huge breath of um, relief. And he shows up, they start filming. Um, The first thing that they film is in the hospital. And she has to like communicate to all the extras and all the crew members who are all Japanese through the assistant director, as I mentioned earlier. Um, so there's a little bit of uh, translation and 
difficulty with getting them to understand what she wants. But Bill Murray, the entire time, he just seems like the funny dad, you know? He's making jokes. He he has this like running joke where he is trying to learn some Japanese and like the one phrase that he wants to like have locked down is uh, he's he wants to learn how to say, who do you think you're talking Got to? It. What I'm working on is that I need goddamn mono itendaya. That's what I'd like to be able to say at all times. What does that mean? Which is, who do you think you're talking to? And I, it comes in very handy in any situation. If, like, Ava, who are you talking to? You should, uh, what's, the, what's my first line of dialogue? Uh, are you going to do your bread? Or your bread, wasn't there anyone else around to lavish you with attention? I said it to a guy. I said it to a guy in the hotel. Yeah, this guy came on and complained because we were making noise in the makeup room. And I said, And his face went white and he turned and went right back in his room. It means, who do you think you're talking to? Yeah, it's like the last thing you say before. Oh, oh shit. Bill Murray's mad at me. Um. And he's, he's like, because they have a really low budget and they only have 27 days to shoot this movie. And be, I don't know why, but they decided to shoot this on film, which, as we've discussed in the past, very hard to shoot stuff on film. Oh, definitely. And they don't have a lot of lights. They, they don't want to use lights. They want to use natural light. And if you're shooting on film, typically you need to light more than what you think you do. And it, it was making some of the crew members a little nervous because they weren't using a lot of light and they're shooting on film. But somehow the cinematographer knew what he was doing. Um, so this is a gorgeous looking movie. And like, it is a gorgeous looking movie. We just it, talked about it. It is it is probably one of the most distinct looking movies ever. Like the the look of the film totally goes with the theme of the film and yeah. the tone and everything. And it you watch it, it's like it's almost like similar to Drive. You know how that it movie did remind had... me of Drive. It, it was like a very feminine Drive, I think. Yeah, like it's <laughs> it's there's something about Drive, the cinematography and Drive and look of Drive in this movie that really and the soundtrack lo- too. Yeah, that that captured the sense of loneliness and this movie just mwah, mm, beautiful, beautiful. The, they did an incredible job. The the DP and the crew. Yes, great. the cinematographer's name. I, th- I think we should probably mention Lance Accord. Great job. Uh, and, a, but you know, they're shooting on borrowed time cause they don't have all the locations locked down. So they're like, okay, well we'll shoot this here and maybe we'll shoot this. We'll get this shot tomorrow at this place. And they went over like when they went to the, the Shabu Shabu scene, they went over time and the, the owner of the restaurant pulled the plug and shut off all the lights like kicking them out of the out of the restaurant (laughs) they were able to shoot her walking in uh, i think the shibuya district when she's like has the umbrella and it's raining they you you can't just like film stuff in big cities you know you have to have permits Permits. and rights and and everything and they didn't have that they were just kind of like they the camera was small and then just kind of like trying to block it as they're like filming this movie they they used they pretended to to be patrons of a Starbucks to get an overhead shot of her going across the street. It's like really like guerrilla filmmaking style, which is 
you don't have all the permits you're supposed to have, but you're going to shoot the movie anyway and try not to get caught. That's how it is when you don't have a lot of money, even though she's Sofia Coppola, you know, uh, and back back in the filmmaking trenches. Like, it's like, how do we yeah. get this shot? It's like, well, we got to, you know, is it advisable for a lot of people? No. But if you could get away with it. Yeah. Cool. It's like she is Sofia Coppola, right? Her dad is a very famous director, but she didn't really have a lot of of uh, that that kind of privilege. Like, obviously, Coppola brings its own privileges but she did have to work really hard to to get it and she'd have to do things that you know film students with no budgets had to do as you know protect like hide the fact that you're filming something you know Mm -hmm. so that's really cool and the music they get you know they had they didn't know if they're i don't know how this movie would work without the movie without the music that they got but they got it all done and this like really tiny movie that isn't really about like huge world ending stakes or anything isn't like some period piece uh, isn't in like a typical genre it got nominated for four oscars it made over a hundred million on a budget of four million four million dollars those profits man that's money that's success four oscar nominations a hundred million critical acclaim audience acclaim (laughs) you having a coppola name does not buy you that instantly no, like if, if she could have, I I would feel like a Coppola could have put more than $4 million down to, to get a movie made. Like, I feel like The Godfather was made on a $5 million budget, but that was 1972 money. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. You know? no, 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 very different. Yeah, very different. But no, it, this movie was a grand slam. I think a lot of people, a lot of the audiences related to maybe what Bill and Scarlett were going through in the film. Granted, not in Japan, but in their regular lives because like like you said the problem was not japan is the things that they hadn't addressed the characters you know and uh i'm sure a lot of people related to that and the academy saw it audiences saw it critics saw it you know and it's a great film overall yeah i think that's that's all i had to say would you like to move on to our quotes yeah go for it uh I'll, you you'll go first i'll go first yeah i always okay. go first you always go first. That's true. Um, uh, so this is the part of the episode where we talk about a quote. Rather than doing like an out of five scale of how we feel about the movie, we pick a quote from the movie to represent how we feel about the movie, maybe our connection to the movie, or what we... Th- maybe, maybe it could be our favorite quote. Uh, for me, I feel like this... I feel like this part of the movie like resonated with me the most, I think. Um, where... They're both lying in bed after watching a bunch of movies and talking, drinking sake and everything. And she she says, I'm stuck. Does it get easier? And, and then Bill and Murray says, no. <laughs> 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 Which, like, she is stuck. You know, she doesn't know who she's supposed to be. She's with, she's with um, this person, uh, her husband, who's, like, really into what he's doing. He, like, knows what he wants to be. And she's not... She's not where she wants to be. Um, and this guy, Bill Murray's character, has lived his whole life. You know, he's been, he's a movie star. And now he's getting paid millions of dollars to do a commercial. He's been married for 18 years. And he just says, no, it doesn't get easier. And then he, he like tries to like backtrack. He's like, oh, yes, well, you know, everything's going to work out. You know, you're, you're, you're smart. You'll be fine. But he's just as miserable as she is, you know? 
So I, th- I thought that was like a really funny moment. No, it's, it's it's it is a funny movie. Like it's great, and then there are times when the movie gets a little deep. Like uh, I have two quotes, obviously. Mm-hmm. One of them is when Charlotte says, "I just feel so alone, even when I'm surrounded by other people." And I think we can all relate to that to a certain extent. Oh like, yeah. Sometimes, sometimes the company that you have just isn't doing it for you. You know, where oh, you're yeah. just like, I don't feel like I belong in this room. I don't feel like I. If I left, nobody would care. It's that melancholy that the film has. That's that that the film's honest about. That I don't think we are honest about in our regular lives, which I really like. And then there's the other fi- the, the other quote where it's like, "Let's never come here again because it would never be as much fun," uh, which I thought was just a great quote to summarize their relationship. Like it's it was fun. It was fun to watch. Mm. It was a, a desperate break from their their lives that they they sorely needed. Oh yeah, absolutely. And may still need after the events of the movie. Yeah. Well, here's hoping that the relationship that they had with each other helps them confront the issues that's really bothering them in their respective lives. I mean, mm-hmm. I know I'm saying this like they're fictional fucking characters, but you you, you get my point. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> well, you know, at the end of filming the movie and after it was released, uh, Sofia Coppola and Spike Jones split up, which I, man, that is, that must be weird. Making a movie about a relationship while you're in a relationship and the person you're in a relationship with is filming the behind the scenes of, of your movie about people unhappy in relationships. <laughs> God damn. That's very weird. Actually, That is really think, weird. <laughs> I didn't think about it until you said it, but yeah. But I feel like regardless of whether or what kind of relationship you're in, like that that feeling of being alone is something that everybody goes through, whether or not they're honest about it or not. Absolutely. Yeah, 100 percent. And this movie's just this movie's just talking about that and not in a totally sad and depressing manner for an hour and a 40 minutes. It's it's fun. It's quirky. You like being there. Um, and when so, it's yeah. over, you're kind of sad. Yeah, it, it actually is one of those things where I'm like, I could have watched three hours of this movie if it kind of managed to, you know, just just keep going. And I'm like, I would have yeah. been fine with that. I would have been cool with that. Maybe less of the racism. But <laughs> I, I'll, I'll give you that. A hundred percent. I will say that has not aged well. All right. So that will be our episode on Lost in Translation. Check it out if you've never seen it. And my advice to you is the next time it rains, definitely put this movie on because it will perfectly Absolutely. set the tone. So, Austin, mm-hmm. what movie will we be talking about next? What movie are we talking about next? Well, I know we've been throwing out an ideas ideas about the court jester. Yes. Um, but I don't think we're watching that next, are we? Well, no, I we actually have to talk about it. We actually don't have a movie pinned down. I know you and I have tabs. trying to put me in a spot here, trying to yeah. make me lie to all the people. Yeah, Austin, why haven't you decided, huh? <laughs> no, we we've been talking. There's a lot of movies that have been going having some cele- some uh, anniversaries. Um, Court Jester because I think it's a great film to talk about. But then there's Zodiac, which is celebrating its 15th anniversary, and it would be the first film from from it would be the first film from David Fincher that we talk about. Really excited about that at some point. Ice Age mm-hmm. has a has an anniversary as well. Do you remember the animated film Ice Age? Uh, I remember the animated movie Ice Age. <laughs> Came out 20 years ago. I think it's worth revisiting. We haven't done too many animated films. 
And this would kind of liven up the tone a little bit, you know, since talking about Godfather and Lost in Translation and, you know, just a little little variety. A little variety. A little variety. There's a film recently that just a few, like last week, celebrated its anniversary that I've never seen. And I know we've mentioned it before. White Men Can't Jump. Ooh. It celebrated its 30th, its 30th anniversary. A lot to talk about. Our next episode could be about none of these movies. (laughs) But they could be in the future. Yeah, but there's definitely a lot of awesome films that are coming out. But yeah, I mean, we don't really know what film we're talking about next. So it's going to be a surprise for you guys. But I hope that you guys enjoyed this episode. Yes. I had a lot of fun watching it. I had a lot of fun talking about it. Great conversation with you, Austin. Thanks. It's great conversation with you. Goddamn right it is. Mm-hmm. If you want to keep up with us, we are on social media. We are on at retrograde underscore pod on Instagram and Twitter. We have a Facebook. But yeah, if you're a listener to this episode, you know the deal about Facebook. It's all automatic. I don't log in. Um, you can follow us there if you want. Uh, but Twitter and Instagram, you can follow us there at retrograde underscore pod. Feel free to leave some comments. You know, on our last video, we had... Uh, some people come by because it was about the Oscars and then, you know, the incident happened at the Oscars and people wanted to uh, voice opinions about how we covered that, that specific Oscars moment from the Godfather. Um, people that will probably never listen to the whole episode. No, absolutely not. And also just a a heads up, reels only allow for a minute, guys. Like, (laughs) we just, it's... I can't add a 20-page dissertation on Instagram, okay? Or a 20-minute, unless it's like an IGTV thing. But no, just... That doesn't exist anymore. What? IGTV. Oh, what is it now? It's just... It, it's gone. That, that service no longer exists. Jeez. It's been converted to just Instagram videos. Well, there you go. Sorry. I saw those comments like, yeah, you should talk about this. Why don't you listen to the fucking podcast? <laughs> That's an hour and a half long. Ugh. But yeah. I but I do appreciate the comments. And, you know. Yeah. Is and if, if if any of you listeners out there want to, um, you know, what's the word? Uh, let us know that we're doing a good job, that you like listening to us. You know, feel free to comment on there. So that's not all. Not all we see is like weird people that will never, never listen to the show. <laughs> Yeah, you guys didn't cover this properly. You mean we didn't talk about an incident that a lot of people don't know about and that we didn't cover didn't all the about? complexities in a minute? Not even a minute. Like fucking 35 seconds. Do you know what I deliberately deliberately did? I I left the final notes to like I left the actual video play at the end just so people could hear the actual booing. Just so mm-hmm. they you know, just so it's not like hey, oh, I didn't see it. Yeah. Uh, anyway, you know, people. Yeah. Good yeah. intentions, but really annoying people. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yes, yeah, so that's what that's what I did on my birthday. I read through a bunch of comments of of the. <laughs> I'm like, oh, sh- oh, sweet, people are watching our video. Wait, oh, oh no. <laughs> but anyway, oh, no. Um, we have a Discord too. So you know, I, I like to to think of of retrograde podcasts as like a place where we can be positive about stuff and have like you know, um, more intellectual conversations in like a relaxed place where we're not going to like, hey, you didn't do the right thing. You didn't do, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. 
So that's the kind of environment I like to, to breed, you know, pe- people feeling safe and comfortable, you know. Um, but yeah, you, if you if you like that, you can join our Discord. You have to DM us, though, for an invite because there's a lot of bots out there, too. And a lot of people with some really hot takes and just want somewhere to just throw them. And I'm like, relax, dude. Relax. <laughs> um, so yeah, you DM us for details on that. We are also coming out with a Patreon soon. Maybe more updates on the next episode because we have we have to talk about that as well. Ooh, um, that's so right. that's all for today. We'll see you in two weeks. Bye bye. <laughs>